Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Derek Jeter! This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to a Tuesday. We took a holiday off edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm the Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante. It was a borderline perfect sports weekend. And honestly, there was a sequence uh, between Saturday and Sunday where I cannot remember more perfect things happening in my column in a long time. You had the the Giants making smart GM interviews. The Rangers won. The Knicks won on Saturday. The Patriots lost 47-17, and it wasn't that close. The Cowboys lost. Uh, and then the Knicks lost on Monday and ruined everything. But it really was an incredible sequence of events, and it would have been all the better had the Yankees actually been participating in it They had nothing to do or say except for a very important Saturday morning finalization of their international free agent class. Were there surprises? Was there a big departure from what we saw coming? Not quite, but it was still nice to get it all on paper. Plus a Joey Gallo lineup adjustment. Carlos Correa buzz because isn't there always Carlos Correa buzz? And we revisit the Zach Wheeler failure from a few off seasons ago that really set the Yankees into a huge tailspin folks make sure to find us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcast drop us a five-star review along with the mailbag question we'll be more than happy to answer it and please come join us live on youtube at two o'clock eastern time that is mondays and thursdays all off season long not on tuesdays typically but today hey look egg on our face today's obviously a tuesday doesn't take a genius to figure that out but we're still online we're still here for you thomas carinante welcome to the pod mlb and the players are no closer to figuring this whole thing out uh, players have still been locked out by owners, and the conversation is ongoing, though barely happening. 
That leaves the Yankees to sign international free agents. That's pretty much all they can do, and they got themselves a good one. How was your sports weekend? Uh, fine. Sports betting weekend was good. Uh, I'm only fine. Yeah. The, the Dallas Cowboys eating paint. Oh, I just the, knew. I knew that was happening. That was my pick of the week. It was San Fran. I just, I felt, I felt it in my bones. Uh, pa- everyone was nervous about the Patriots too. They're like, oh, what Patriots are going to go to Buffalo and do it again. I was like, I think yeah, I we saw, were. we saw the flaws in the Patriots team over the last month. They were cold going into Buffalo, going against the hot Bills team. It's just, you know, the, Bill Belichick is pretty much as godly as you can get, but you're not rebuilding the team that fast to win a frigid game in Buffalo when, you know, the Bills have this uh, championship window that they currently do. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it, it was validating for me, I'd say. Well, I wasn't overly pumped. Uh, um, I, uh, I kind of felt like a lot of the chips that fell into place did. I'm excited about the Bengals. I like this Bengals-Titans game next week, so mm-hmm. we'll have fun with that. Um, but yeah, solid sports weekend. Uh, still pissed about the owners and the players. I don't know what's going on here. Um, I can't believe like the audacity of some of these insiders earlier in the offseason to be like, oh yeah, spring training. No, it'll be fine. It'll it'll all be fine. And it's like, what? Yeah, that was insane. How was insane. how did you how was that? You saw what happened during COVID. We talked about that. We we've talked about at length here. And then they go into the offseason with nothing. And then they have two discussions before the actual lockout is ready to commence and then they are locked out for six weeks and then they have one meeting and there's one proposal exchange and then everybody just gets up and leaves because they're inside are they so insulted by these proposals that they're just like yeah, fuck this i'm out um i, I really don't know but uh we're not going to get spring training on time folks i think it's what 25 days until pitchers and catchers report not happening just simply not i can't even imagine i don't even know what the circumstances would be like leading to that just the yeah. owners come back with their second proposal and it's like everything the players could have possibly yeah, wanted yeah, exactly kudos kudos to the players for not blinking but uh, you know i don't want they i just wish there were i wish there were a middle ground here i don't think that there is though yeah and so when is uh, that you know there's a lot of things the players want, and rightfully so. They should want them. The owners want to give almost nothing, and so we are not having a rational conversation. At this point, I trust MLBPA leadership. I know exactly what they're doing, but all that equals no baseball. So yeah. currently no baseball. Uh, and that leaves us to talk about the international signings first yeah. uh, because it's rare great news. Um, and look, it can be somewhat uh, – I understand it's a little off-putting uh, to the cash, like to you know any fan who's who's watched this entire offseason – and is like, uh, so we're not willing to spend on the major league team whatsoever, but we're beyond willing to splurge on the number one international prospect. So we're just sort of acknowledging that we need to rebuild the, like we're, we're being farm system rebuilders now. We need the, you know, best roster of 2025. I do understand that impulse. But but that being said, uh, the Yankees should be doing both. Yeah, uh, They should be spending on the international market where most of the league's top talent comes from these days and has for a very long time. Wander Franco is you know, was in Roderick Arias's shoes just a few years ago. And, and so that takes us to Roderick Arias. The Yankees have been rumored to sign for the number one prospect in the class. The Yankees have a bit of a smaller pool than some uh, financially. Before this, they had about $5.1 million to throw around, which sounds like a lot. There's a reason to keep piling on international money. Um, and, and rumor had it they were basically going to throw all of that at Arias. Uh, they threw a lot at Arias. He signed for what was rumored to be a $3.5 million deal, ended up being four. So the Yankees did not splurge their entire pool on him. They, they got out relatively unscathed. Not a bad job by them. Uh, and took in a talent who was the consensus top in the class. Uh, not a left-handed swinger, naturally. Um, 
he's a he's a switch hitting shortstop. So he you know he'll bat lefty when the time comes, but he's he's not a natural lefty. He's a switch hitter. Um, incredible contact skills, great floor, knows the strike zone well, according to all reports. Plus plus potential hitter in the future. Seventeen years old, great all around game. Uh, MLB pipeline claims sixty bat, fifty five power, fifty five run, fifty five harm, fifty five fielder. Which is that's pretty great. I mean, it's it's on a twenty to eighty scouting scale, so that means he basically does everything very well. Um, is he the Yankees shortstop of the future in three years? I don't know. I can't tell you that right now, but I can tell you that uh, the Yankees have gone out of their way to acquire another real, true top end talent at shortstop. They also signed a shortstop on uh, the market last year too, uh, and their shortstop this year supposed to be a great fielder, uh, Luis Suarez out of uh, sorry out of Venezuela. Uh, who's supposed to be a plus-plus fielder, plus-plus speed, bats still coming around or whatever. But they were able to get a second shortstop with that left over $1 million, and they made five more signings after that. Two, uh, three catchers uh, and two pitchers. Um, so, you know, it didn't stop at Arias. But, Thomas, how excited are you to finally have Roderick Arias in our – he's been in our sights forever. Right. Now he's in the farm system, joining Peraza, joining Volpe, joining uh, Hans Montero, who they signed last offseason – uh, shortstep's been a focus for a really long time, which is hilarious because none of them are that close, but we've added another big one. It's crazy. I don't understand <clears throat> how these links come to be. Like Roderick Arias just like agreed to the Yankees last year that he would sign with them when he it, became yeah, eligible. It's, it's cheating. It's clear like cheating. This, I think yeah, Major, League this... Baseball, like, Major League Baseball has a deadline for when you can talk to these people and when you cannot, and that deadline was Saturday and every deal was finalized immediately. Yeah. yeah okay. Cute. NBA free agency. Like there's just yeah. no fucking line. Um, I mean, look, this is creating a trend of sorts. Uh, either the Yankees are taking the future of the shortstop position super, super seriously. And they're going to make sure that they have a cornerstone for the next decade, or they're just building up the trade uh, capital to figure something out, to revamp the roster in 2022 and 2023. Um, Look, you talk about payroll concerns with this team, with not wanting to exceed the luxury tax, with also not knowing what the next CBA is going to bring with those financial implications. Best thing you could do to minimize all of that risk is to sign guys like this, build your capital, get other cheap, controllable talent um, at the major league level in exchange for uh, in exchange for these types of players. Um, or you just keep him, and yeah, maybe this guy turns into Wander Franco. I have no idea. I don't know what to expect. But you look at the Yankees' international free agent, uh, international uh, signing history on the market: Mariano Rivera, Ernie Williams, Robinson Cano, El Duque, Hideki Matsui. So they've done serious, serious work on the international market. We laughed in years prior uh, because we did see Brian Cash make plenty of trades in exchange for international bonus pool money, and you're just laughing about it, you're like, what the hell does this matter? It actually does matter a little bit. Um, So I know it seems weird when he's stockpiling bonus money in March, and it doesn't seem to matter, Um, but uh, it's all a long game. It's a game of chess. Uh, Brian Cashman's good on the international market. Um, Who else is on this roster that's actually that was signed from the international market? Severino, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Luis Heal, I think, was, but he was traded. Yeah. Yeah. Severino was cheap. That's a famous, like, Lewisaga. it's not necessarily the top names. Yeah. Yeah. Loisaga. Um, I think that's actually it for homegrown. Oh, Gary Sanchez, obviously. Um, Medina. Yeah. Medina. Barada. And Duhar, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, good chunk of guys here that, and, the, and Gleyber Torres was an international free agent signing, eventually traded for Roldis Chapman. You see how it goes, folks. Um, 
I like it. I like that we're building the building the farm. It's very important to have a good farm because you're looking in Dodgers world right now. And, and some of the fans are concerned about the uh, depreciating farm system there, given all the deals that they've made. Um, they haven't exactly fortified it um, in as best they can over the last couple of years. So it's important. It's important to have all these elements. And I like the direction that the Yankees are going here. Um, it just, I don't know what they're going to do with it. You have a million shortstops. We talked about Trey Sweeney, um, Oswald Peraza. Um, there's one other guy in the system right now. So that gives you five or six. Like Ale- are- Alexander Vargas, who's yeah. someone who we haven't even really thought of, no. uh, is, is a 20 year old shortstop at rookie ball who fan graphs projects as the Yankees fifth best prospect. Yeah, so amazing. that's, I mean, that's, that's big, that's big time right there. I mean, that's ahead of Oswaldo Cabrera, who's going to make the major league roster at some point this year. I think Trey Sweeney, of course, um, you know, he's obviously behind Peraza and Volpe who Fangraphs has his one and two. He'll presumably be behind Arias when he joins the system at some point yeah. too. Cause Arias really is expected to be a wander type, a Jason Dominguez type, uh, the types of people that join your system and feel very advanced already. Um, and Vargas feels more projectable, but that being said, he's still ahead of Schmidt, head of Yoendris Gomez, head of Everson Pereira, head of Davey, head of heel, head of Antonio Gomez. Fangraph seems to think value him quite highly too. So that makes, that would make five, upper tier shortstops in the Yankees top 15 prospects to really yeah. keep an eye on. Um, and frankly, that makes me, that makes me, I'm not on board with the stopgap plan. I'm not. And I can't plan anything on the major league roster around Roderick Arias, who again is 17 years old and may become Wander Franco and may become, uh, you know, maybe he develops no power. Maybe he's Luis Castillo. Maybe he's Wilkerman Garcia or Dermis Garcia. The guys, the Yankees splurged on in 2014. I don't know that, but I do know that the more names you add to the pool, the more likely it is that the Yankees do not go above and beyond a lockdown shortstop for like 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, and so that does lead me to the Carlos Correa buzz, and we, we could just go right into that stuff. Now, um, I, I wouldn't rule out – look, none of this makes me rule out a short-term deal for Trevor Story, but I continue to think that is the only possible high-profile ending to the Yankee shortstop saga. They're not giving Story six or seven years. They're not giving Correa nine or ten years. Uh, they might tr- they might sign Story to a short term deal. They might trade for Isaiah Kiner Falefa. They might trade for Matt Chapman. Move Gio Urshela to short. As as far as I can tell, those are the only real options because they they've got to make room. Uh, you know, get good players now. Ask questions later. I agree, but they are very committed to finding a long term shortstop for the future. They are signing children, and, and it is true that athletic shortstops may become something else as they age. Arias is a shortstop now. Maybe he is huge at the age of 21. He's already a third baseman. I just don't know. These, these international signings, you can't project anything. But they're, they've kept Peraza so far. They're obviously keeping Volpe. They're grooming him. They're talking about it. They've got, they drafted Sweeney. They've got uh, Vargas. They've got Arias. They've got the kid they just signed, Suarez. Endless shortstops. So that makes me, that would make it hard to believe that they would then kick all those dudes to the curb by bringing Correa in. Show me where I'm wrong, Yankees. Show me where I'm wrong. But as of now, I don't believe it. And you wanted to comment on, on the latest edition of the Correa buzz. It also sort of just agrees with us and says, no chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how we missed this. I also don't, don't know where. It was last week or a week and a half ago, Andy Martino of SNY was talking about the likelihood of the Yankees adding. Um, and he essentially was just saying that it's much more likely that there is a trade involving Matt Olson or Matt Chapman than any of these high-profile shortstop signings. Um, 
Add a, added a little tidbit in there that says, I don't see the Yankees going after Correa unless his market dips into the 200 million, like the low 200 millions. And it's like that, what, where, where is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? Is there going to be a revelation of an off season injury that cuts his market by $150 million? Do you really think he's going to settle for less than 300 million? Do you think he's really going to settle for less than what Corey Seager got? I don't, I don't know if there's, I don't know how, I really don't know how that is even a topic of conversation. Carlos Correa's market dipping because you want to talk about a player who's injury prone, if that's how you define it, or a player who historically has not performed well in the postseason. Corey Seager's the definition of that player. I like Corey Seager a lot, but outside of the 2020 playoffs, his playoff track record, dismal. He played in the 2020 playoffs like like everybody else. No fans in the stands. Maybe that helped him. I don't know, but he had one he had one one run and it was great. And I don't think that that should take away from anything and any of the money that he's making. But Carlos Correa and him, I think, debuted the same year. Correa's played in like fifty more games. I know it's not a whole lot, but like he's mm-hmm. been he's been healthier. If that's how you want to look at it, um, his playoff track record is almost a regular season's worth of success. Um, and his defense is way, way better than Seager's. Way, way better than Seager's. His defensive runs is all of his advanced metrics, and he's projected to play shortstop per per uh, per insiders and analysts and people who study the game much closer than we do. He's projected to stay on shortstop much longer than Seager would, so I don't know on what planet anybody thinks Carlos Correa's market is dipping to $200 million unless he's signing a four-year $200 million deal and then is going to hit free agency again at 30 years old, which I think would be an awesome move, but I don't know any team who's going to pay yeah. 50, $50 million a year for that. Um, so, yeah, more more proof that that's the delusional thinking, I guess, now that New York media is poisoned. Oh, no, the Yankees will be in on this guy if his market's cut in half. Yeah, we could see that happening. Yeah, dude. Yeah, a lot of teams would be. Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think the Royals would be in on Carlos Correa if his market dropped to $200 million. Uh, So uh, I, just more proof for the folks out there. Look, wrote that article. If you guys are, if any of you out there are confident that the Yankees are going to sign Carlos Correa, I respect the optimism. I just don't know. I don't know where you're getting it from. So that makes me think it's blind optimism or it's just, it's just unfounded positivity because you need to make yourself feel better after what's been going on over the last two years. I get it. I totally understand it. But you're getting an insider article here that says, oh, I don't see the Yankees going after Correa unless they unless he takes a $135 million discount, then great. The Yankees are not signing Carlos Correa. So my poison brain now is going down the well, looking at options. I like the Matt Chapman acquisition and moving Geo to shortstop for one year. I think that's the best scenario at this point if they're not going to spend money. If they're not going to spend money, Trevor Story's out and Carlos Correa's out. I don't want any of these stop gaps. I think Gio Urshela is better than any of those stop caps as in totality as an all-around player when you factor in defense, when you factor in um, uh, offense, when you factor in his uh, influence on the team. Uh, I think that's a much better way to go about this if we have to go about it this way. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that just, all you need to know is more and more reports coming out of this nature, suggesting that the Yankees are eyeing trades, eyeing stopgap options, or eyeing a collapse in a market. Don't expect them to be breaking the bank for anybody. Unless I think Freddie Freeman, I think that's the only exception they'll make. At Progressive, you can get 24 seven protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. 
We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Yeah, I'm not a bootlicker here. I'm just getting more and more on board with the stopgap options because the options are getting better. Um, and I'm just getting, I'm just realistic. That's all. I'm not, you know, would I sign Carlos Correa? Sure. Yeah. Would I prefer, would I prefer Carlos Correa to Isaiah Kiner Falefa? Yeah, I'm not a moron. Obviously, I would rather, <laughs> I would rather sign an elite talent who's going to be a third baseman in three years. Of course, I would rather do that. I'm just being realistic and I'm knocking Correa off the sheet. He's not even there for me. I'm not even looking at him right now. And so when I do that, it's story. And I don't really want to pay. Like, if it's up, if it's down to story, I don't want to give him six years. I'll gladly give him two. I just, I, I would, I would, you know what? If I have to, I'll give him five or six years and move him to center field when Aaron Hicks is done. And, and fine. I'll entertain doing that. But I don't think the Yankees will. And I think the well, Mariners will. So it's that might. simple to me. Um, you know. If somebody's willing to give him Javier Baez money, it's not going to be the Yankees, so you can count them out there. If he'd rather be a Yankee and hang out with DJ LeMahieu for two years, then sure, yeah, come here for $48 million or 52 or 56 I don't care. But if you don't want to do that, we'll go further down the line. And I am not counting on Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza, but I am comforted by them. Yeah. That doesn't mean I wouldn't trade Peraza for Matt Olson. Peraza and Chips and three top 10 prospects for Madison. I would absolutely do that. But if they're not going to spend on a shortstop and if they are going to go on a stopgap option, why would they lower their pool of available shortstops? Why would they cut them in half? Right now it's Volpe and Peraza and some 17-year-olds. Why would they slice one of those two names out of there? I think they would – honestly, if they don't spend on a shortstop, if it's not Correa, which it won't be, and it's not Story – I think they keep Peraza and don't trade for Olsen and sign Anthony Rizzo. And that's where most of my projections are coming from this week. I don't know if you disagree. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree because I could see a lot. I could see so many things happening. Um, so, and I think, and I, like, I think they do trust the prospects in, in a sense. And I think maybe they could be a little bit, I think they could be expedited um, if, you know, Hey, what, what if this scenario, does this sound crazy to you? What if they just yeah. open the season with geo at short, Matt Chapman at third, they sign Rizzo, and then Volpe comes up after the all-star break. Or problem, yeah, or uh Oswaldo Cabrera, who probably makes the roster. He plays second and short, right? And third. He, he plays everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I, I, maybe, I he plays the outfield. Maybe he gets time. Maybe he gets time there after impressing. Or I, maybe Peraza comes up and he starts playing and they like what they see. I don't know. So if they're viewing it like that, if they're like, hey, if we can if we could see how the first half of the season goes with Geo there, we don't have to spend a ton of money and then we could bring up one of the young guys and then we could, you know, make, make an impact at the trade deadline. Maybe Geo's value goes up after playing shortstop for half the season. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just spitballing here, but yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that scenario. I don't disagree. The only thing I disagree with is Trevor story in a long-term deal and Carlos Correa at all. I don't, and I don't disagree with it cause I don't like it. It's just not going to happen. Um, and Andrelton Simmons. And Andrew, oh, yeah, yeah, fully. Or, fully. or a long-term deal. I, I wouldn't want to sign him on nope, a long-term deal either. either. That That's the worst-case scenario, Simmons for six years. But I don't yeah. think we have to worry about that. So. <laughs> Simmons for six <laughs> years and $20. Yeah, see, it's, it's, I mean, the Yankees love stretching the money out over many years. So yeah. maybe 
one year, ten million for Andrew Simmons is too much, so maybe they just go for seven years, two million dollars <laughs> average annual value. I don't know. I just don't know. Probably not, but maybe. Um, so let's talk about an insider's uh, description of the Yankees lineup moving forward as Ooh. well. It's easy to forget the Yankees have Joey Gallo on the team. Yeah. Uh, sort of hard to remember that that was a locked-in proposition for 2022 as well as 2021. And it's hard to remember a lot of stuff because it's hard to remember there's even baseball next year. So there, there is supposed to be baseball next year. Worth examining. Buster Olney is the latest to address Gallo uh, in its pressures and what he's feeling entering the 2022 season if you if you remember how his 2021 went it basically served as an argument against his acquisition in every way possible um he has been long known as a high obp high power high strikeout guy which is fine we all know how modern baseball works but he had a low eight obp a ton of strikeouts and an extremely low average last year there's certainly a difference between hitting 220 with a 350 obp uh he hit horrid in the 160s um, and he ended up hitting 162 with runners in scoring position last year, which is completely pointless and, and does, does absolutely nothing for the New York Yankees. He hit barely any home runs. Uh, so slightly below average power, way below average average, and way below average OBP provided none of what we were hoping for. But he is a high OBP guy in theory, so Buster only says, hey, what about Joey Gallo in the leadoff spot? How do you feel about promoting him all the way to the top of the order, taking advantage of his on-base skills, emphasizing them so it's not a negative as much as it is a positive. So if he's hitting in the sixth spot and it's second and third, two outs, and he walks, and the next guy strikes out, we're not all bummed out that Joey Gallo took a walk. We're excited because he's leading off more innings than he's not. How do you feel about this? Do you feel like this is actually a possibility? And how do you think Yankee fans would handle their prize pig, Joey Gallo, hitting 41 home runs out of the leadoff spot with people on base very rarely? Well, guess what? He hits no home runs with runners on base. Did you see the splits for that? He hit 20 of his 38 home runs were solo shots. So Ooh. more than half of his home runs were solo home runs last year. Um, I don't think this is anything that's possible or would improve the Yankees lineup. Why? Okay, great. You put Joey Gallo in, you put Joey Gallo in the leadoff spot. You think he's probably going to see more pitches. Uh, yeah, guess what? He probably did see more pitches on this Yankees team last year anyway, and he just continued to whiff. 35% whiff percentage on fastballs, 42% whiff percentage on breaking balls, and 46% yeah. whiff percentage on off-speed pitches. So he was missing center-cut fastballs. I don't have the data on that. Um, I know it's very bad. The amount of center-cut, the, the amount of balls in the zone, fastballs in the zone that he missed was absolutely egregious. Could have just been the jitters from being in New York, from you know having a very different uh, uh, change of scenery after coming over from Texas. However, you want to talk about him being a high OBP guy? Sure. His OBP is much higher than his batting average. He's a career 206 hitter, though. So, like, if your batting average is – if your OBP is not 125 points higher than 206, then I think, I, I think you're probably not in the league. I think I just think you might you might not be in the league. You might be a fringe you might be a fringe ball player. Like I don't know. And then you look at his uh, his on base when you break it down for just walks. His walk percentages over the years. Um, twenty nineteen his season was shortened uh, due to injury, I believe. So I didn't include that in there. But twenty seventeen his walk rate was fourteen point one percent. Great. Twenty eighteen twelve point eight. Twenty twenty twelve point eight. I know twenty twenty was shortened, but I think he played like fifty nine games or something. So it was full. Um, when you look at it through that lens and then 2021, that total jumps up to 18%. His next highest career, he led the league in walks in 2021 with 111. 
back in 2017 with his next highest total, 75. So it depends if you view what happened in 2021 more as an anomaly than what you've seen. I understand Joey Gallo is is statistically and age-wise entering his prime. So maybe he has fine-tuned his way to increase his walk percentage 3.9 points. But based on the way he's hitting, I don't I think he's been more inclined to take walks because he's been less inclined to swing the bat last year. And I don't know why. I don't know the reasons why that that was the case. There were many times that the entire Yankees team just wouldn't take the bat off their shoulder. I have no idea why. Um the other uh the the other concern here is like you know, years ago when uh, Joe Madden put like Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff spot, and that was like mm. fun for a while on the Cubs. It's a different story. Kyle Schwarber wasn't a two hundred six hitter. He made contact. He had a, he hit extra base hits. Um, you know, it, it's it's just it's this is a totally different story. Joey Gallo has a career home run rate of six point six percent, hard hit percentage of fifty two percent. It's just not the profile of a leadoff hitter. And I'm not going like old fart profile of a leadoff hitter where it's like, oh, you got to be slapping singles in every direction, making content te- uh, contact, testing the defense. No, I don't. I think the leadoff position has evolved in a sense. I don't think it's going to evolve to the Joey, Joey Gallo pendulum side of things. That seems a little bit crazy to me. This guy strikes out a ton, and you would think that he was the beneficiary of walks because the guys in front of him would get on base, and they're like, oh, shit well, we don't want Joey Gallo to put this ball in play because then the runners are going to score. Or we don't want Joey Gallo hitting a home run because then that's a three-run shot and we're down. So, yeah, they were more inclined to walk him with runners in scoring position because also, guys, guess what? He doesn't hit with runners in scoring position. So I don't know why. These are just the stats that exist on baseball reference if you go if you go take a look. Um, I don't think this is – I once again, this, this has turned into a situation – where the Yankees make an acquisition and then they have to bend over backwards to make it work when it should just be fine. Acquiring Joey Gallo, who's a versatile outfield, uh, versatile defensive outfielder who can really bat, you know, anywhere from like third to seventh is a lefty hitter. Like this should just be something. Oh, great. Joey Gallo. We have him on our team. That should work. Now we're talking about squeezing him in the leadoff spot because he had such a bad second half. And now they have to accommodate in some capacity. They have to accommodate his skill set in some capacity. No. How? How did this happen? How did DJ LeMahieu go from replacement level player to team MVP to he doesn't play well last year and the offense is not the same? Like, it's just crazy how these things continue to work out. And we've now reached a point with Joey Gallo, who we traded four prospects for. And now we're talking about putting him in. First of all, he's never batted leadoff before. So this would be a complete change in assignment. Second of all, he doesn't really do well in high pressure situations, as we've seen over the course of the second half of the year. And he never was really exposed to high pressure situations being with the Rangers who have not been contending for the last five years. So um, I don't know why. Uh, I think he needs to be de-emphasized in the lineup. I need. I think he needs to be batting seventh or eighth until there is a market improvement in his play to get him to move up. Um, because I don't. I don't know why you're going to magnify his position and make his role even more important when he was unable to do so last year. And I think he'll be able to. He's not going to be as bad as he was last year. I think we all know that. Um, if he is, then whoa, okay, uh, bad trade, bad acquisition. Eh, take it back. Um, but, um, I don't think, I think you got to ease him in next year, get him back kind of on track to wherever he has to be, because 
batting 160 is impossible. It's it, in that lineup, in that Yankees lineup with all those, mm-hmm. all the hitters you're protected by, it's almost impossible to be a major league hitter and hit 160. Like even the Yankees' worst players didn't hit 160. No, they didn't. They the Yankees worst. Kyle Higashioka did not hit 160. Maybe he did actually. Um, but I don't think he did. But he might. Have. I don't think he did. But like, even if you're if you're Joey Gallo and you're close to Kyle Higashioka in this lineup, then I think that's the problem. Um, Kyle Higashioka hit 181. So yeah, correct. Epic. It was yeah. not as bad Young as King. what Joey Kelly was doing. So Young King. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the solution is is magnifying him at all until he can show you that there has been a change in his approach until he could show you that he get a fastballs middle, middle until you can show you he has a little bit more discipline with off speed and breaking pitches, because there's a clear, there's a clear gap here that needs to, that needs to be closed. And um, I, I don't think it involves doing this. Yeah. Right now. I mean, I'm rooting for Joey Gallo in 2022. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, right now though, he's a pretty keen argument against children running the team though. Cause every kid <laughs> said surrender every asset you have for Joey Gallo. He got here and he hit 160. And then, and then all off season long, we we're like, I dare you to tell me 160 is good. And all the kids were like, it's not, it's bad. That's not what Joey Gallo looks like when he's good. It's like, no, I know, but that was horrible. Look, look me in the eyes, just look me in the eyes and tell me that was horrible. I understand that an idealized Joey Gallo is better than that. Yeah. But that's not what we got. No. We, we got awful, awful baseball from Joey Gallo. He did not contribute unless he was hitting a home run, no. which was rare. So, and he looked bad in left field. Those so, two games, the Mariners game where he hit his first home run as a Yankee, and then the ga- the cool. A's game in Oakland where he hit that moonshot. Those are the only two games where I was like, oh, shit, Joey Gallo did something. That was it. Yeah. Easy to forget that he does add to the star power of the roster. Yes. Because he, he is a star, uh, but absolutely not during 2021 at all. Nope. And he's here this year, and he probably will not be extended. So enjoy him while he's still here, quite frankly. Uh, before we end the show, let's reminisce. On a time when the Yankees failed not once but twice to land high-impact talent in a way that confuses us still to this day. At the time when the Yankees were pursuing Zach Wheeler at the 2019 deadline, we understood who Zach Wheeler was. We thought a solid Mets starter with with A-plus stuff, crazy fastball, great curveball, great breaker, uh, unable to harness it, couldn't get that ERA below four. The Houston Astros were in on him. as well. That's what we knew, right? What we knew is that the Astros were pursuing him which made us think, oh, shit, I don't really want Zach Wheeler, but I definitely don't want him to go to the Astros because yeah. I know I know they're going to figure it out. He ultimately didn't go anywhere. Interesting. At the end of the year, the Mets basically said goodbye as loud as they could. He went to the Philadelphia Phillies and, and uh, was a Cy Young caliber starter in uh, 2021, for sure. Didn't win it. Corbin Burns took it, but I don't know if he, I don't know if that's the right answer. I feel like Zach Wheeler actually probably yeah. was your 2021 Cy Young, although he did not get the votes. All that being said, uh, the Mets were keen to kick him to the curb, clearly. They did not pursue him at the end of the year. They basically said, get out of here before the free agent negotiations even started. He almost went to the Astros. It turns out he almost went to the Yankees, too. Uh, The Yankees reportedly had a deal done for Wheeler. Somebody's medicals held it up, and the Yankees never revisited as far as we know. Don't know who's medicals. Don't know who's in the deal. Don't know what halted it. All we know is that the Yankees had it, not just at the finish line, not just at the famous one-yard line, but done. Yankees had Zach Wheeler in trade. Didn't happen. Medicals nixed it like David Adams back in the day in the Cliff Lee trade. Uh, Of course, Brian Cashman, the genius, would not put Eduardo Nunez in that trade. And then Eduardo Nunez started for 1.25 years for the Yankees when they were absolutely terrible and he was a completely pointless player on the roster. Might as well have not been here. Uh, Cliff Lee would have been uh, nice to have uh, for a long time. Yeah. Anyway, 
the the medicals somebody's medicals held it up we don't know who maybe it was david adams again 10 years later they tried to put david adams back in the trade <laughs> the Mets were like who the fuck is that and also his medicals are bad also he's 38 uh what are you doing uh somebody's medicals held it up we never got him we never went back uh why this is important is is not only because zach wheeler is uh one of the best pitchers in major league baseball but two uh because it's now that we keep hearing on and on people droning about this failed zach wheeler trade it makes us remember that uh the Yankees didn't really pursue him that offseason either when he was readily available for money alone uh and that cost uh, hardly prohibitive that cost looks cheaper by the day now that he has harnessed all of his stuff and i know you're gonna well what would he have harnessed his stuff with the yankees i don't know philadelphia doesn't exactly have a vaunted coaching staff the Yankees have Matt Blake. The Yankees have pieces in place to, to get a pitcher to where they need to be towards the finish line. I would argue he would have gotten there faster in New York for all of the breaking and, you know, headbutting with Sonny Gray over the years and stuff too. I would say Philadelphia is one of the worst places for a developing pitcher to go. Yeah. And he figured it out pretty quickly there, uh, which makes you think he probably would have found it in New York too. I regret this tremendously now. We just we're remembering it this week because of the Yankees clear need for a number two. Missing on Zach Wheeler once, shame on me. Missing on him twice when he costs just money. That's huge shame on the Yankees. Yeah, and this is revisionist history. I understand that. But when you look at the fact that they were about to surrender assets for him in the middle of a 2019 playoff run when they were a 103-win team, you mean to tell me that they didn't see something in him that they thought they would be able to tweak and they they would be able to make a top-of-the-rotation starter? Because this rotation did not need depth that year. It needed actual pitchers. It needed more pitcher. It, it, I mean, I'm sorry. It needed an actual ace. It needed somebody who can who had the stuff Didn't to pitch in a big game. Um, yeah. And Zach Wheeler has the high fastball. He has the devastating breaker. So you don't think for a second that the Yankees saw something here that they could have, you know, taken to the next level. And that's why I'm asking myself, okay, great. You go into that offseason, Garrett Cole's your number one focus. Totally understand. You overpaid for Garrett Cole. You didn't have to do that. You probably could have offered like 50 million less and still got away with it. Um, and, but you know, water under the bridge, that's that. Why not invest in two starters? Because you didn't spend much more after that in the off season. Did they spend anything at all after that? It was just a bunch of nonsense. Brett Gardner. Yeah. They, they yeah. Brett Gardner so it was nothing. Yeah. yeah. So it was absolutely nothing. So why not you get your one, two and because, and the other reason here is because, Oh, you're, Oh, but what about Paxson? What about Masahiro Tanaka? They knew Paxson was done after this season because they knew it was a make or break. They knew it was a make or break year from him. And if he dominated, he was going into a contract year on the wrong side of 30. And you know, the Yankees aren't paying that. And Tanaka, if they didn't sign him to an extension at that point, after all the success he had and the fact that he opted into his contract and saved the Yankees money after rehabbing Mm -hmm. his partially torn UCL, then they weren't bringing him back either. So why in the world would you not Zach Wheeler's contract five years, 118 million, is going to go down as one of the most cost-effective deals of the last 20 years when all is said and done. He had a very good 2020. I understand it was a shortened season, but it, it, it is what it was. That's what MLB decided to give us. That's what we decided to now rank people based off of. Sorry. Um, he had a, He's had a great last uh, 40-something starts with the Phillies. Um, my whole beef there was like, why not spend an extra 100? And in, in that case, if the Yankees were to buy in on both Cole and Zach Wheeler, I think the AAV, I actually calculated it. Where did I put it? So Wheeler is signed for 23.6 million AAV, which is 13 million fewer than less. If they invested the 442 million in that starting rotation for the next nine years, 49 million AAV for two pitchers who 
I know you didn't see Wheeler becoming one of the best in the league. I understand that, but you know that he would have been able to bring his ceiling would have been Coe stuff and to turn down Coe stuff on a deal where you're get you're literally getting all of his prime years in this deal. It's a five-year deal. He signed through age 34 or 35. So you're not getting all those declining extra 38, 39 seasons. We're like, Oh, cool, cool. We're throwing $35 million into a hole. Not really like, you pay a starting pitcher of Zach Wheeler's caliber at age 35 and he's giving you, you know, a low four ERA. That's a win after paying mm-hmm. 23 million for Cy Young caliber season. So I just don't understand why the Yankees just didn't go the extra mile, especially because you look down. I mean, I don't know what, what is, what is the front office doing? You're looking down the road to the next couple free agency classes and there's not really anybody. Trevor Bauer was a nobody until his, until his Mickey Mouse Cy Young season. So mm-hmm. like they didn't know he was going to be good. The, the free agent classes were not good the, over the next two years. So why would you not think to double up when you know you had two guys coming off the books, when you know that, you know, you you could have gotten Zach Wheeler to come here had you get, you know, paired it. How would that not have convinced him? Hey, you're going to be with Garrett Cole, top of the rotation. Um, you know, we're going to we're, we're going we're going for the jugular these next, you know, five years, whatever it is. Great. Um, I think it's a missed opportunity. If you want to talk about being caught, that's the other thing, too, because it's like, this front office wants to be cost effective and they splurge every once in a while. And they had no choice, but to splurge on Cole because if they missed out on Cole again for the third time, when they tried to get him, it just would have been too mm-hmm. embarrassing. So they're like, Hey, let's throw an extra 50 million at the problem to make sure we don't embarrass ourselves three times. Um, and then they overlook the one deal that would have been super cost effective. Um, once again, I know I, I don't, I don't think anybody foresaw Zach Wheeler doing this, but like I said, if the Yankees were willing to surrender assets, to have him lead the rotation during a 2019 season where they were World Series hopefuls, it's a 103 win squad. You can't tell me that they didn't think he was worth a shade over 20 million dollars um, over five years to, you know, play play a co-ace role. Um, because I, then then where's your lot? Then why are you trading? Why are you trying to trade for him in the first place? Um, why do you think he's good enough to, you know, help your rotation in that capacity when you're going up against the best offenses in the American league and he's a national league pitcher. So they saw something there for some reason, they didn't act on it. And here we are. And the craziest part is the craziest part of all this. And this is where I'll leave it is when they were going to trade for him at the deadline, he was not pitching. Well, he had a 4.71 ERA before the, his last start before the trade deadline. So they were about to acquire a pitcher who had a near five ERA at that point. He, pitched the rest of the year. He lowered it to 3.96. So he had a great rebound. He had a tremendous rebound from where he was up until that point over the next two or three months or two and a half months or whatever it is. So they also saw him dig himself out of whatever hole it was. He was clearly overcoming, overcoming his uh, elbow and forearm issues. That How is that not enough evidence to pay somebody to pay somebody that money, especially when you're the wealthiest franchise in the sport. So, um, I know it's a big ask. I know investing that much money in one area of need is it's a significant investment and it could blow up in your face. All it takes is one elbow injury and that's the end of the story. Um, I know how it goes, but if you saw something in him, if you knew your offense didn't need any tweaks because technically it didn't really need any tweaks. It no. was the best offense in the league in 2019. So um, I, I just think about this all the time and what it would be if it was Cole and Wheeler and how much, pressure would be taken off Cole, how much pressure would be taken off the bullpen, how we'd be able to swing guys into the, you know, back of the rotation and not have it matter as much. The games wouldn't be as meaningful as they are. 
Um, when, oh, great, spot start. Uh, I guess we'll bring up Davey Garcia to see what he can do. Oh, he got shelled again? Cool. So that game's out the window. Um, Would have just made life a lot easier in so many respects. So um, I think about this, um, and it's upsetting because it really, it really was not that big of an investment. No, <clears throat> we'll close it out there, but it, it's obvious the Astros saw something that the Yankees also saw. Um, at the time, we were advocating for a deal just to block Houston, but there were clearly more and, and better reasons to do it that have shown in Philadelphia, it, you know, it, it has not been, uh, you know, now it doesn't take a genius to see it back then. It seems like the Yankees saw it. And, and then after being, you know, after having their deal collapse and having Houston's deal collapse and having him go absolutely nowhere, he rebounded with the Mets, clearly put more value on his arm. And the Mets did not see it that way and basically gave the Yankees the prime opportunity to reunite Cole and Wheeler in one offseason the way that the Astros had tried to do just a couple months prior uh, and we never even heard a whiff of it. We yep. never heard a rumor about the Yankees diving back into that pool. So this is not to say that the Yankees couldn't close the deal in the offseason again. It's to say they didn't even try. A couple months after going very hard and hard enough, in fact, to complete the transaction. Maybe they felt trading with the Mets was easier than paying money. Maybe they felt it was easier to rip off Brody Van Wagenen than it would be <laughs> to deal with Zach Wheeler's agent. That I don't know. But when it costs money alone, it doesn't even seem like they tried nearly as hard as they did prior to him reestablishing his value. And you're right, it's one of the great value deals in baseball at this point. That is it for this edition of the Yankees Go Yard podcast. We started with international free agents. We ended with a very national free agent that the Yankees probably should have signed. Is that not sad? We, we went from optimistic to pessimistic <laughs> in 40 minutes or less. That is your guarantee with the Yankees Go Yard podcast. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review along with the mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. And we will also be live on YouTube Two o'clock Eastern time, Mondays and Thursdays moving forward until the regular season begins. Then we'll reevaluate, but that won't be until 2024. <laughs> until next time, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Weinerib. Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes, baby. Hit me up there. Uh, hit us up on the Yanks Go Yard official Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS and take a gander on over to YanksGoYard.com. Plenty of content there there for you. Off season stuff, re- revisiting some things, going through uh, the last decade or so. Uh, some cool stuff, and then projecting what might happen after the lockout. So we'll have some things there for you as well. Um, And until then, folks, we'll talk to you and see you on Thursday at 2 p.m. here live on YouTube. Catch us on Twitter as well. Um, Enjoy the next few days. Hopefully we got some more good stuff for you then. Very important. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we had more good stuff for you? That That would just be wonderful. But until then, we will see you on Thursday. Progressive presents Forced Metaphors about bundling your home auto and other vehicles. In hockey, it's the goalie's job to protect the net. And in life, your net is your home and auto, but also your boat, motorcycle, RV, or ATV. And your goalie is the -the round-the-clock protection offered by Progressive Insurance. Well, and also the savings you get when you bundle. So in this metaphor, you have two goalies, which is okay because, you know, it's just a metaphor. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.